Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. She is. Welcome. There she is. Okay. Hi. How are you? Hello. Good to see you. Good to be here with everybody. So honored to have you here today. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. We have about 100 women here in a theater and we're creating quite an energy here and um, are super excited to have this conversation with you. So I want to do a quick um, introduction to you, if that's okay, Marianne. I met Marianne um, in 2020 when she was coming through Iowa and had some instant connections with her. Um, you, you meet someone and you, I could, she's, you're a very tiny person with this amazing big energy and amazing uh, intellect. And so um, we're very honored that you're here. So Marianne is a best-selling author, political activist, and spiritual thought leader. For over three decades, Marianne has been a leader in spiritual and religiously progressive circles. This woman has authored 14 books, four of which have been number one New York Times bestsellers. And one of her famous quotes that I think most of you, I'm sure, have heard, I have it actually memorized, um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. We actually did a whole podcast on that quote. Um, It is considered an anthem for a contemporary generation of seekers. Uh, Marianne has also worked throughout her career on poverty, anti-hunger, racial reconciliation issues, and she co-founded the Peace Alliance and supports what I love, the creation of a U.S. Department of Peace. How amazing would that be, right? A U.S. Department of Peace. She ran for the Democratic nomination for president in 2020. So Marianne, thank you for being here today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So this podcast is really about rewilding, which we were, were talking before you ro- arrived online here, that it's about getting out of these small boxes we've been conditioned into and finding the courage to step into our light and our power and our bigness. And so we ask all of our guests that come on to start at sort of childhood because Kate and I, have we've been doing this podcast, we've really found that there's these beautiful themes from childhood that seem to then emerge into someone's life and you know, takes them where they need to go. And so would you tell us a little bit about your early years and what that was like? Well, I had a a good childhood, but I had a childhood within a larger social system that is infused with the proverbial patriarchy. The idea of full feminine power wasn't anybody's fault. They hadn't been raised any differently than they were passing on to their children. It was later in life when I read books such as uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves uh, by uh, Christopher Nicola Estes. It was later when I read about Greek goddesses. It was um, later when I read about the Inquisition, when I read about the destruction of pagan culture, the burning of the witches, um, that I began to recognize ways in which 
uh, my life had been limited. I don't think that the limitations of my childhood really were all that big a deal because I was existing within a, a, a family system where I was loved and protected. The place where this becomes so dangerous with women is in adulthood, because in adulthood, you're not only are you denied, um, it's just in the air. Uh, don't get too wild now, because let, let's be very clear about what that translates into. Uh, they don't say you're wild. They say you're just too much. You're hysterical. You're reactive. You're angry. This ecstatic power, the only place where it's permitted is in bed. Although, interestingly enough, even the sexual power and wildness is obviously considered such a threat and is as we're experiencing today with the efforts to control women. So I, I think that it was, uh, for me, most of my uh, scars, most of my woundings, most of my experience and interface with the issues that you're talking about have had more to do um, with my adulthood than my childhood. I'm Jewish and Jews love children. So when you're ch a child, you're kind of allowed to be it's when you grow up that uh, basically you're told to tone it down. Yeah, that's fascinating. So Marianne, you have this amazing quote that we've used in our podcast, and I'm going to read it for the group here. As we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence actually liberates others. Can you talk to us about writing that quote and if you had any idea what an impact it would have and what it means for you today? <clears throat> well, of course, that quote is from my book, A Return to Love. And Return to Love, the subtitle of the book is Reflections on the Principles of a Course in Miracles. So the basic principle of being more afraid of your light than your darkness is really just a reflection on, on a principle in the course. I understand the excitement about the principle, because I, I feel the same excitement about them. I do remind people, if you like the paragraph, you'll love the book. Yeah. I don't know who it was. You know, <laughs> well, the paragraphs in, away in a little bit. Yeah, I don't know who it was that took that one paragraph out and, and uh, gave it this misattribution, et cetera. The point, of course, however, does have to do with the fact that we are afraid to shine our light. Even more, this is even more of an issue for women than for men, because at least white men in this culture, the subconscious communication until recently, at this point, everybody's feeling squashed emotionally, psychologically on some level. But traditionally, white men in our society have been invited to shine their light. But anybody who's not a white man, uh, there are all kinds of messages. Um, don't shine too bright now. Don't you shine too bright now? And when we do, it is considered a threat to the system. The, the issue is, it is a threat to the system. It, it called, it called yes, freedom, yes. You know? um, and for us to really ask ourselves, how willing are we, you know, how, how far are we willing to go? You pay a price for challenging the system. So, so what we've got here is the fact that if you do own your wildness, if you do own the truth of who you are, if you do own your light, if you do own your full spirit, not everyone will like you. Yes. Not everyone will appreciate you. You might remember you were talking before about when I ran for Congress. She's crazy. I mean, you'd think it was something like 500 years ago. She's crazy. She's dangerous. What? She's anti-science. She's anti I mean, it was like, in, like you've got to be, she's kooky. And that's, that's really the underlying, this, uh, this issue of making a woman 
who just kind of says what, in my case, we're all thinking, um, is yes. too yeah. much, Thank too much. Too. Wow, she's crazy. We can't go there. That's crazy. Meanwhile, we're living on a planet which is six inches away from disaster, six inches away from the cliff, whether it has to do with the state of our democracy, the state of our environment. Um, it, on, on so many levels, the system that has driven us into this terrible ditch is saying that anybody who's not part of that system is too dangerous. Uh, what's dangerous is the system that suppresses the light. What's dangerous is the system that suppresses uh, what you're calling here the wildness. By the way, it, it's worth noting the only ultimate order is within the wildness. Ugh. The wildness is only considered dangerous to the ego mind because it's dangerous to it. So the part of you that says, no, I can't go there is the part of you that knows if you go there, you drop it. Now, when you do that, when you, and this is where women together in conversations like you're having today make so much a, di a difference. This is where sisterhood comes in. Yes. It, when I was growing up in the, the feminism of like the 1970s, it was understood that, there, that sisterhood was a deep component of this. None of us are getting there unless all of us are getting there. I'll tell you why. If one woman struts out there and she says, I'm going to be wild. Well, first of all, you have two choices. If you choose to be the wild woman, if you choose to be the woman who really is allowing it all your entire light to shine, you're going to have two choices. One, you can go be with the witches on the side of town, living, you know, the proverbial, the archetype of we're going to go just live in the forest in our own little house and do alchemy and make concoctions and be magical and be with other witches. That's one archetype. And that you're just not even exposing yourself to, to the insanity of the world where the real woman in you is not appreciated. That's a destiny that there's nothing wrong about it. There's nothing illegitimate about it. A lot of women couldn't even if they wanted to because they have to make a living, right? How does that a woman in the, you know, the, house, the hut in the forest make a living? A lot of older women, that's an appropriate archetype. Then the other one is, no, I'm going to be out in the world. So you start with the realization, not everybody's going to applaud. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to respect that. But this is what I've learned from my own experience. And this has not been easy. You are responsible for your effect. And what I have found, and I wouldn't say I'm there 100%, but I've had to face the fact that I would go into rooms, I would go into situations where it was unreasonable for me to expect that people would understand. I'll give you an example. Even when you were talking about my money for president, I, my entire professional life for the last almost 40 years has been in rooms like this. People who are talking about wellness, people who are talking about spirituality, people who are talking about transformation and higher consciousness. So within this space, this conversation is comfortable. Within this space, this language is comfortable. If you're going to go out into a world where this language seems odd, you are responsible not to hide your light. And that's the art form. You're not going to suppress who you are. But there are certain times when being adult enough to know um, the language that might have made a difference. I'll give you an example and then I'll shut up. On the debate stage, I made a, I said dark psychic forces. It becomes a meme of derision, 
all I had to say to please the patriarchy was um, very, very dysfunctional psychological energies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's very psychologically quite dysfunctional. That's all I had to do to please these pseudo intellectuals. But uh, that was a lesson I learned. Mm. So it brings up for me, as you said, you're not, not everyone's going to like you if you're willing to be courageous to shine your light. How do we as women come up against some of that fear? You got to be careful. Yeah, anyway, you got to be careful with that one because it can make you very self-righteous. Okay. Because deeply, okay. We want to be loved and monitoring, you know, just like we, let's say you're doing yoga and you are honing your muscles, your external muscle with spirituality, with practice, we are honing our attitudinal muscles. So this is what I've learned. You know, I made this mistake the other day, actually interesting. I got this one wrong just the other day in something I did. I went into a room where I knew the truth that many of us here would not appreciate. And I went into my judgmental mind because I saw so many people who to me represented, ooh, they're the patriarchy, ooh, they're the capitalists who are the wrong side of thing, you know? And I, the, the Course in Miracles says the primary responsibility of the miracle workers to accept the atonement for themselves. Everybody, whether they agree with us or not, is an innocent child of God created equal. Our job is to love everyone. So you go into a room and you say, although I didn't get it right that day, I had a, I, I, some things became clear to me afterwards. It weren't clear to me before, even though I, I think I was trying, but as the Course of Miracles says, your good intentions are not enough. Your willingness is everything. So your first thing is you go into a situation, dear God, please remove from me my arrogance, my self-righteousness, my belief that I get it and they don't, my belief that I'm a transcendent wild woman and they're just a bunch of limited patriarchal thinkers. Clear yourself. That's where the that's where the darkness lies. And then you go into the situation and you bless everyone before you go. And then one of two things is going to happen. Three things is going to happen. Okay. Number one, in some situations, you're going to be led to just hold your silence and keep your peace. And there's no point in speaking. And your role is to just bless. That's category one, because there's no point. The point is to just, you know, communication has the word communion inside it. So if there's no communion, you can't say you communicate it. So keep your word. Sometimes silence is your communication a blessing. That's category one. Category two is what I was mentioning before, particularly today, because there's a lot of yearning for something new in the air. People do get that that we want something new. Second category is, let me be disciplined with my language. Like I said, I didn't have to say dark psychic forces. I could have just said, you know, there are deep psychological dysfunction. Speak language, take, take responsibility for your languaging. I realized, like I said, there are words in the professional context that this is about consciousness. I mean, just things that we, just language we're used to by now, but it's not the language they use, right? So just monitor yourself. Don't suppress your wildness. But if if you're Greek and you're going into a room full of French people, try to speak French. Yeah. There's there's, Yes. Then there's category three. Somebody, you know, there's a course in miracles that says, there's a point at which 
you will not be alone for your mighty companions will join you. And then it goes on to say, those who have the same light in their eyes that you have will recognize you. Those who do not have your light will see that light in your eyes and wonder where you got it. Now, that third category, I would say someone like you and me, Betsy, you led, you're led into situations and you get, you get it. Oh, you're, you're one of us. Oh, you're one of us. And everybody can relax and be real and use whatever language we want. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's, the work is always on ourselves, but we're not going to, I mean, the point of this wildness is to bring the divine feminine into the world for transformational purposes. You can't change what you yourself deride. Martin Luther King said, you have no uh, morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt. Mm. You say that again. Yeah. You have no morally, or maybe he said you have little morally persuasive power. I'm not sure which now. You have no morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt. Mm -hmm. So we have to clear, we have to, it's all, the work is always on ourselves. All individual yeah. work, isn't yeah. it? It's all our individual work. It's where it starts. I appreciate your vulnerability, Marianne, because I think probably a lot of us walking in here believe Marianne's got it all figured out. And the nobody idea, has read my books or heard me talk. Thinks that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just saying today and giving people permission, this is, this is our work you know, in the rooms we walk into yeah, there, and it's a daily effort and being mm -hmm. conscious of our words and the rooms we're in and, and the impact we have and the power of silence sometimes, mm -hmm. um, is really a good reminder. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So clearly, um, we've been through a lot on this planet in the last couple of years, <laughs> um, with lots of major initiation, I think with COVID um, lots of relationship changes, lots of shift in workplace etiquette, um, so much going on. And I'm, I'm curious to know um, your perspective on this. And it, it does seem like we're at this pivotal point of moving, like you said earlier, six, did you say six inches from mass destruction? You know, how do we tip the scale towards more mass consciousness? All right, so let's talk a little metaphysics. There's a, a line in The Course in Miracles where it says, God has an answer to a problem the moment the problem occurs. And there's also a line that says there is no order of difficulty in miracles. So let's start there. That there is a solution. That infinite miracles are possible. Think of a GPS. You, you have your destination. The GPS, your radar, your internal radar, tells you how to walk to your destination. And then you take a wrong turn. What does the GPS do? The GPS automatically recalibrates your route. So humanity has been deeply irresponsible towards the earth, towards ourselves, and towards each other. We have been deeply reckless, um, deeply violent. Uh, humanity has deviated from the angels of our better nature collectively on profound levels. And we are reaping the effects of that cause. Now, God has an answer to every problem the moment it occurs, the GPS recalibrates. But 
God cannot do for us what he cannot do through us. So he doesn't, it's not like something outside us is going to happen. It's that each of us are being led, and I'm sure everyone in this room can recognize this. We are all being led in our own relationships, in our own lives, in our own situations and circumstances to experience the recalibration of the world by experiencing the recalibration within ourselves. The Course in Miracles says that everyone's life has a highly individualized curriculum. Think of ourselves as immune cells. The body can take a pretty amazing amount of injury, assault, and illness as long as there's a healthy immune system. The immune cells are immediately sent to the wounds. The psyche can take an amazing uh, amount of heartbreak and trauma as long as there's a healthy mental immune system. So can civilization. And you and I uh, should think of ourselves as the immune cells in American civilization and in global civilization. Just like the cells in the body, you, you're assigned to the lungs, you, you're assigned to the pancreas, or in, in um, uh, when it comes to the woundings on the planet today, you, you're assigned to this global wound and this need to bring forth a, a repair and regeneration. Now, in life, you, you're assigned to North America, you, you're assigned to Africa, you, you're assigned to Asia, you, you're assigned to the arts, you're, you, you're assigned to education. And all of us are assigned to politics. It's a collective assignment. Um, I believe in honoring your incarnation. It's interesting you guys are in Iowa. Yeah. You know, unless they remove Iowa every four years, you guys play a pivotal role in either closing the space or opening the space of greater political possibility and conversation in the United States. So each of us, if we are honest with ourselves, if we wake up in the morning, you know, there's a marvelous line in the course, a prayer where it says, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom? Now, God's not going to tell me what you're supposed to do. You're, God's not going to tell you what I'm supposed to do. But if we support each other, um, have you meditated today? And then that sisterhood thing, if I could conclude this with just going back to that issue. If you see a sister standing forth in deep effort to share her wildness, her divinity, the best that she is with the world, help her. We're not going to get there uh, by ourselves here. Um, I, I read a study once, and it was saying that if a woman, it was talking specifically about women, and this is very much what we're talking about here today. Let's say there's a conversation in a business meeting, and a woman speaks up and says something which is not popular within the system. She says, well, you know, if we do that, I'm not sure it will be healthy for the children. Or if we do that, you know, that might actually be bad for the environment or whatever it is, right? Something that has to do with the genuine feminine nourishing children, earth, community, life. Um, the institutional resistance based on, no, this is about how much money we make this quarter, will be such that when the woman speaks up, there's liable to be silence. But this is what that study said. If even one person in the room, if even one person in the room will say, actually, I agree with her. Yes. The whole system will change.
Yes. Mm. I felt that when I was running for president, I felt like some people who knew me better, they did know me. And I wasn't asking that they, you know, would necessarily agree with me politically, but could have gotten on Twitter and said, you know, I don't know if you agree with her politically, but like I've known her for 20 years and she's not crazy. Right. And didn't and didn't because there was like, well, if they think she's crazy and I speak up for her, they might think I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's it right there. We've, We've talked about to that stand so up much. Yeah. And especially as women, mm-hmm. when one woman stands up, we have to be willing to stand Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a big deal. A really big deal. Big deal. And there is such a, I feel kind of a sense of loss of power this week. And it makes for good me- reason because we did. Yeah, we did. we did. And so collectively, I love your, you talk about this idea that if we are one wave in the ocean, how can we not be terrified by the other waves? But if we realize that we are one with the ocean, we are powerful. And that's what that reminds me of. If we start standing up for each other and recognizing each other and having each other's back, all of a sudden the tide turns. And so can you talk a little bit about that context and that we're living in? Well, it's interesting. So do you want me to talk about the waves in the ocean issue or the loss of power for women this week? Because it's kind of two different conversations. power yeah, for women. Power, start, we'll start with that. <laughs> um, obviously, this is huge, what just occurred with Roe v. Wade. But I also believe, and I am a pro-choice woman, but I also believe that One of the reasons, I mean, yes, it was a stealth campaign to take over the Supreme Court conservatives who would overturn Roe v. Wade. That that level of things is true. But there are many other levels here as well. And one of them is that over the years, we have been losing popular support for Roe v. Wade. I personally think one of the reasons we have been losing popular support for Roe v. Wade is because certain voices on the left have been almost militant in their refusal to acknowledge a moral dimension to the issue. It's almost, it has been a coterie, like I said, almost militant. No, this is just about a woman's right to choose. And if you make it about anything else, you're soft on choice. Well, I'm not soft on choice, but I do believe it's a moral issue. To me, it's a difference between private morality and public morality. Abortion to me is a deeply moral issue. It's an issue for a woman with her own God, with her own conscience, with her own doctor, with her own life circumstances to decide what the moral choice for her is. And in some cases, perhaps that moral choice is to not have the child. That's up to that woman. I don't believe the government should be weighing in on that. Government should not be weighing in on any American's moral choices with the one exception of sex with children, how we treat children. Now, I have met so many people, including in Iowa. I remember one house party in Iowa where I was speaking what I just said. And this woman said to me, "But you, so you do get that it's a moral issue, right? I said, yes, I do get that it's a moral issue. I just think it's a private moral issue rather than a public. And she said, okay, I just needed to know that. I think that the battle over abortion rights, we have lost a great battle apparently, but the battles will continue and they will mainly be on state level now. We must all fall in love with state 
politics. People more on the left politically tend to be overemphasized, perhaps. Federal issues and federal action almost at the expense of the states. Now, I know you have a Republican governor in Iowa, correct? The woman still, right? right? Yes. And has she, I would think she's probably voiced in, how has she voiced in on this? She's just uh, waited. She waited. She's been pro-life consistently. And so we don't have a trigger law, but it's. All right. Well, okay. Your work is on the level of, of Iowa, but this is the thing. We've got to get past this red versus blue. Blue lost here. If you just take this blue stick and try to fight the right stick in Iowa, we're going to lose again. This, you know, the course, not the course, but AA says every problem comes bearing its own solution. We've got to get out of the civil war, blue versus red. We are a purple country. And we, you know, like I was saying before, we have to check ourselves. I had an experience, you know, I've been lecturing almost 40 years. And if someone were to say to me, was there one lecture, one night, one event, which was the most powerful you've ever had in your career? I'll tell you what it was. It was many years ago, at least 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago. Sacramento, California. Big, big audience, about 2,000 people. Sit, gave my talk, took a break, came back, question and answer. The first question, abortion. And I don't remember what was said, but as soon as they said it, you could just feel the psychic rip in the room. My first thought was, oh, let's get off this topic. And then my second thought was, don't be ridiculous. thought was, don't be ridiculous. This is why you're here. We are here to seek healing. So I said, you know, everybody, we can feel how in this room, how divisive this topic is. And I want to remind you that God doesn't need a press release from any of us. So we are going to go into silence for two minutes. And we are going to surrender our thoughts about this issue. Seek to become empty on this issue. And after two minutes, we're going to come out of silence. And then we will begin to talk. And we said a prayer and we said, dear God, I give to you all my thoughts on this issue. At the end of two minutes, a conversation ensued that was so profound. A young man said to me the next day, he said, I felt like last night I had a private conversation, an intimate conversation about abortion with 2000 people. Because people who were coming from, well, they call it pro-life. I have a difficult time with that. I don't think they're more pro-life than the rest of us. But an anti-choice position spoke from their heart about why they were. Other people spoke from a pro-choice position from the deepest level of their heart about why they were. People shared details. People shared like what they had been through on a, on a level of real vulnerability and heart. There was no doubt to anyone in that room, that there were people pro-life really heard by pro-choice people in a way that had not occurred before. There were people from a pro-choice position really heard by people taking a pro-life position in a way they'd never been heard before. The Course in Miracles says that's the answer with a capital A. What's the answer is not legal, not legal. The answer is, remember, um, 
Einstein's line, we will not solve the problems of the world from the level of thinking we were at when we created them. For those of you who are pro-choice, you got to hear me. The only way we're going to have victory here is if we are willing to compromise on certain issues. The only way we are going to reclaim and codify reproductive freedom in this country is if we are willing ourselves to hear some values considerations that we have been perceived to be unwilling to hear. You know, in other countries, in Germany, for instance, they do have mandatory counseling, non-prejudicial. The, the people doing the counseling cannot show pictures. They cannot weigh in an opinion. They cannot have any decision-making authority. But it does guarantee the society after that one hour that it will not have been an impulsive decision. And I can tell you from my experience talking to many, quote unquote, pro-life people. Listen, I'm pro-life and casual abortion is a moral anathema in me too. I think there are many people in this country who, if you said, if we were able to create some situation, whether it was white, like Germany has or whatever, where there is some guarantee that it's not an impulsive decision. We, we, we lost this war, guys. In terms of just making it what we would have wanted, I mean, we hope the Democrats will show up federally, who knows? But the main work now is gonna be state. It's gonna be in that Iowa legislature. And I urge you to open your heart to a new way of thinking, to build real communication with people who do not see it your way We've lost that battle. And I feel if like it's just what you stick versus red stick. Yes. And that's what you do so beautifully, Marianne, that I feel like I want to really highlight today is this ability to bring people back to the middle. Just listen. That, that where we're at is, I, I was thinking if every meeting could start with two minutes of silence, if every uh, federal court could open with two minutes of silence. Well, they uh, say a prayer before the before an opening of Congress. They say a prayer at the inauguration of the president. The problem we have, Betsy, is that there are elements in our society today. And you know, I come from a religious minority, I'm Jewish. Um, you gotta be careful to have that silence. You know, it's funny when they, when they got prayer out of school, and I wish I hadn't gotten prayer out of school because there's nothing in the Lord's prayer that offends any religion. Uh, I remember what you just said, that's what Bill Clinton, when he was president said, let's have a minute of silence in the morning. It was the evangelical Christians when he said, well, how about just a minute of silence in schools in the morning? And it was the evangelical Christians who were against him. So you got to be careful. In other words, when you said the two minutes of silence, I totally agree with that. So you have to be careful with quote unquote prayer because of all the people who, who obviously today particularly will use that to make it about a particular uh, religious uh, perspective that, that might not honor others. Yeah. Marianne, when you think about leadership in the world, uh, I mean, 25% of our Congress is women, uh, only 25%. Um, how, do, how do you see women leading differently? And why is it so important that we have more women in leadership positions? Well, it comes back to your theme here today. Uh, it, you know, we've been sold a bill of, good, bill of goods in this country. If you get a good corporate job and you're making over six figures and you're climbing the corporate ladder, then you're successful. Uh, 
in the Course in Miracles, it says uh, many things you think of as success or as failure, what you think of as failure is success. If all that a woman does is get into the game in order to perpetuate the same patriarchal patterns of abuse, then the fact that she's a leader, what does this even mean? The issue is what kind of leader? Now, if, to be a real leader today is to get into a system in order to disrupt it in certain ways that it might need to be disrupted. But if you're going to do that, it goes back to category two. You got to be careful and you got to be respectful of what works within the system. Old fashioned leadership is top down. New leadership, enlightened leadership is holding the space for the brilliance of others. I'll give you an example. In thinking about changing the world today, we shouldn't, you said there are about a hundred women in your room, right? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. There was a, Gandhi said, the leader of the Indian independence movement is the small still voice within. The leader today isn't someone who's gonna stand up and say, follow me, we're gonna, no. The leader today is someone who recognizes that something's emerging in all of us. And how do we hold the space for all this brilliance, all this recalibration that is emerging in all of us? So in strictly material externalized terms, it means going into a room and really asking everyone what they feel, really being open to the wisdom that is emerging from all of us rather than the old fashioned, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. But it's also that deeper element of knowing that there is a wisdom within all of us that is yearning to come forth. And it is imperative for the survival of the human race that we create situations that invites it to come forth. And to me, that's what the leadership, the, the new leader recognizes. Yeah. You know, after your run uh, for president in 2020, um, I heard you say on a podcast that you took a year to heal, right? Because there was so much um, negativity. And I want you to, I'd like to hear your answer for all of us in our world in different ways, all of us women in this room that are um, taking steps forward or moving into more light or moving into more leadership or taking risks how we work with healing ourselves when uh, we come up against roadblocks or people that vilify us or people that speak negatively. I was so, I loved that interview where you really admitted, like I took a year to heal. So um, can you talk about that for all of us here in this room? Well, first of all, the things that we've talked about here, about recognizing your own mistakes, recognizing um, how you could do better. Secondly, Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher who lived hundreds of years ago, said every problem in the world can be traced back to man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. We must cultivate quiet. Uh, the Dalai Lama said, in order to save the world, we must have a plan. But no plan will work unless we meditate. When you do physical exercise, you're honing your physical uh, muscles so you can move, get out there and go. In spiritual exercise, 
we are honing our capacity for stillness and non-reactivity. And the morning is so important. I don't know of any religious or spiritual tradition that does not emphasize the power of the morning. I did an Instagram post the other day. I, I loved it. I, I said, why am I unhappy? Why, why am I depressed? Why, what's going on here? Why am I unhappy? And I realized you got up this morning, you went to your freaking phone and you checked your emails and you walked into the kitchen and you got coffee. By the time I made it to my living room, I was I had taken in all the consciousness of toxicity and 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 stress from the world. That's not what I normally do in the morning. I walk in the room. I have my Course in Miracles workbook on the coffee table. I do that first because that's what you download in the morning is so important. So, you know, it's like if you go to the gym, it works. If you meditate, it works. If you do the 12 steps, they work. Whatever your practice is, if you do the work with the Course in Miracles, it works. Uh, we might ask ourselves, why is it that my mind is more willing to waste an hour scrolling through Instagram <laughs> than to give my, myself five minutes of time with God? That should tell you everything. How addicted the mind is to that which will keep you in the perpetual stress zone. Yeah. Yeah. So much and just like with physical exercise, right? With physical exercise, you, you've come to, a, to an age where if you're not working, I don't know, how does my arms look today? I don't know. You look okay. You've been at the gym, right? If I, if, no. I, if, I, if I, you know, I'm doing my weight. Otherwise, at my age particularly, gravity's pulling this down. I'd be all flab down here. Well, I'm responsible. If I wanted to be up, I have to create the counterweight. There is psychological gravity as well. There is emotional gravity. And emotional, psychological, and spiritual gravity is negativity, victimization, neediness, control, judgmentalness, meanness, selfishness. You got to counter that because this world is dominated by a thought system based on fear. And that's one of the ways we get sucked in. With miracles are natural, but the Course in Miracles says, but purification is necessary first. So all this work we're talking about, this is why I always say I end every talk, pray in the morning, kick ass in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. We need quote. to make a t-shirt of that. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> so one of the things we ask every guest, Marianne, uh, from the book, Women Who Run With the Wolves. I love that book. I love, oh, yeah. love that yeah. book. That book was so transformative really, for me. It's really the basis of this podcast. It was really the inspiration. Yeah. <clears throat> when, so we asked these four questions that she asked in the book about when you, which door you walked through into your wildlife. And the first one is the deep scar. That is a door. The old, old story. That is a door. If you love the sky and water so much, you cannot bear it. That is a door. And if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So what, what's your door? My doors have been one, two, and four. Mm -hmm. um, you know, several years ago, I came to a realization that I thought my entire life had been like I had been thrown by the wind against the rocks and cliffs and I was beaten up so much. And I remember when I realized you were the wind. Mm. 
people have messed with me in my life, not so much in childhood, but adult life, they've messed with me, but nothing compared to how I've messed with myself. So I think that the door is not so much about the specific incident. We all have our different incidents. The bigger story is not my particular circumstances or your particular circumstances. The bigger story is that to incarnate at this time in history is hard because, and to, to incarnate as a woman is hard. And it's hard, particularly for the reasons we're talking here, that there is this patriarchal prejudice that limits us, that limits our wildness, et cetera. That exists simultaneously with the fact that as basically privileged American women, no matter who we are, everybody in this room, I don't even have to see you to know, compared to the vast majority of this room, we are privileged. Yeah. So those two exist simultaneously. Honor your trauma and get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Exist simultaneously. And to me, that's the door. That's the portal. What is my responsibility of living on the earth? See, this is the thing. We're all wounded. We're all wounded by the things that we've been talking about here all day. But you make a choice in life whether or not to act from your wound. And I think that's in the transformational community. We coddle our wounds a little too much these days. I agree. (laughs) Because there is a point where processing it just becomes spewing. There's a point where going over it just becomes self-indulgent. You know, who doesn't hurt? But the planet is burning. Democracy is falling apart. The neo-fascist at the door. People are in prison in this country who shouldn't be there, who, who, were, who, who were treated unfairly because of their race. You know, they, we got, you know, so they both exist. But what I've learned is that there are a lot of hours in the day. There are hours in the day when it's all about me feeling my own pain, anger, transforming it, meditation. And there are hours when get up, get over yourself, put on clothes and get out there because there's work to be done. Both exist simultaneously. Beautiful. Clap to that. We'd love to open um, our audience for some questions. So we told people um, to be brave and to come down to the microphone if you have a question for Marianne. So if you're sitting on the edge of your seat with fear right now, that means you should come up right now (laughs) to ask Marianne a question. Anyone have a burning question for Marianne. Betsy, what city in Iowa are you in? We're in Iowa City. Yeah. I remember it very fondly. Yep. Yeah. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> yes, right, there's, a, there's a microphone right over here. <laughs> Brave soul. Hello, okay. Marianne. Hi. I'm, I'm Jane. Nice to meet you. I have followed you for a very long time. Um, and then I had the pleasure of meeting you when you were here in 2020, along with my husband, who was a, who's a former swimmer. I think he wrapped his arms around you about three times. Oh, thank you. So, thank you for <clears throat> coming here a couple of years ago. Thank you. And, you know, I, I hear everything that you're, you're saying, and it, is, it resonates with all of me to the cell. And I have, um, I've been in, in the healthcare profession for a long time. So I know what it's like to be disciplined with my language and to be kind and compassionate. And <clears throat> I'm not that way in my car. 
at all <laughs> when it comes to what's going on in the world. And, you know, I, I saw how you held your own so powerfully on the platform in 2020. I thought you did incredible. Thank you so much. And I admired you because I have, I have followed you as a puppy dog for, I'm, I'm 61, so I have known you a long time. And I, to this, so you were in, you were watched by Putin without a doubt because Putin was watching Trump at that time. So in my car with my mental Kung Fu and my conversations with God and what's going on in the world, I struggle with why, why is this, how does someone like Putin still get away with what he is doing? And no matter how much I meditate, how much I pray, which is my daily devotion, my daily love, because that's how I start my day and I end my day. But it's like, God, you're not hearing me. And there's so many other people that I feel are not being heard. It's like, how, what more besides, you know, I don't think Putin knows love. And I'm, I was so excited to know that Betsy and Kate was bringing this moment together. And I thought, who has possibly the closest of voice of God, but Marianne Williamson, that I can ask this question to? What else can we do? Well, first of all, the Course in Miracles says that God structures the universe along the lines of cause and effect. And God himself will not violate his laws. What is happening in Ukraine is an effect which has many causes. And we are kidding ourselves if we do not include among them very unwise foreign policy on the part of the United States for decades. When the Soviet Union fell, there is much we could have done that our leaders could have done to support the unfoldment in Russia of a governmental trajectory unlike the one that is there now. We also, uh, in our uh, policies towards NATO and the Ukraine over the last few decades, have similarly behaved unwisely with a great lack of psychological and emotional understanding and intelligence. The attitude towards Putin would have been he wouldn't dare. When any level of psychological understanding of this kind of personality type would have been aware, oh no, he actually he would. And it's reasonable to assume he probably will if we continue this way. Amer now, I'm not in any way blaming American foreign policy for what is going on there. An adult, however, recognizes what, what did I do that contributed to this horror? Additionally, when the United States clearly had the intelligence, because they kept saying so, about a week before the invasion, for about a week or two before the invasion, Biden, the United States intelligence, was saying he is about to invade. That was when 
Biden could have called Putin and made some kind of a deal. When Khrushchev was, um, when Khrushchev was uh, approaching Cuba with nuclear missiles, one of the ways Kennedy got him to turn around, Kennedy said, okay, we will remove our missiles from Poland. That was the deal he made. They're gonna end up making a deal at the end of all this. And you know what? It's a deal that probably would be the same as they could have made before it all started. So once again, you're in Iowa, you know, people in Iowa, unless the DNC changes things, has a lot to say about the consciousness with which we approach uh, other countries. In the meantime, Putin's power, you know, if you know anything about history, um, dangerous demagogues exist and have existed forever. And um, unfortunately, he's not even the only one on the planet. Another place where the American people were sold a bill of goods is we were always told, you know, the United States, I think a lot of people don't realize, and this was something I talked about on the campaign. The Americans have, we think, who knows really, but that we know of 7,000 nuclear bombs. Theoretically, from what we know, Russia, they say, has 6,000. As I talked about on the campaign, five of those, you drop five of those, you're, you're done with human civilization as we know it. 10 of those, you're over, the species is done for at least 200, 300,000 years on this planet. We were taught, we've been told, we don't have to worry because there's this principle of mutually assured destruction. And nobody's going to drop a nuclear bomb because they would know that one would be dropped on them. Well, hello, hello, that only applies if you're dealing with rational actors and he clearly isn't one. I mean, given that he literally is committing mass murder every single day. One could imagine that if he feels cornered enough and thinks he's going down, one could imagine his saying, well, and then I'm gonna break, kind of take the world with me. So what does it matter that we have 7,000? What does it matter that we're gonna spend right now, right now, the plan is to spend a trillion dollars over the next 10 years building more nuclear bombs. We need that department of peace. Yeah, we sure as hell do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the end of this Ukrainian situation, and each and every one of us, and I believe as American women, we want to remember this, there will be a major conversation at the end of all this. And there will be a big struggle. And one voice, which will be uh, strengthened by huge political and economic force, will say, well, we need a lot more nuclear bombs. I mean, there are people in Washington, D.C., where I live who actually use the expression limited nuclear war. Ladies, there's no such thing as a limit. A new, limit a nuclear war, the, the smallest nuclear bombs that exist now make Nagasaki and Hiroshima look like a pinprick. There will be another voice that will say, no, we've got to rethink this whole thing. We've got to realize that as uh, JFK said, we will end war or war will end us. And that gets back to what we said. Are we going to support those voices? going to be up to us. Well, I hope to join you at the Department of Peace. Yeah. <laughs> well, me too. Let's be very clear. You know, when you say that, this is a very sober moment. So we can say things like, oh, I love a Department of Peace, but be very clear the level of institutional resistance that there is in our federal government to actually establishing a Department of Peace. So when you say that and you say, yay, Department of Peace, 
ask yourself if you're willing to sink into a deeper part of yourself and say, no, I'm really willing to support a department of peace. And it's an, exactly an example of what we're talking about. It's considered kooky, crazy, dangerous. A woman who doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, like all these serious, sophisticated foreign policy experts who brought us to where we are. This is it right here, right now on the planet. The lack of a genuine wild, what you call wild woman perspective is what brought us to where we are. It is deadly. I think we need two minutes of <laughs> One more question. I think we have time for one more question. Is anyone else on the edge of their seat and courage? Thank you, Jane, for asking that great question. Thank you, Jane. Anyone else? Oh, nope. a brave soul in the back is walking down. <gasps> Yay. Amanda. I'm going to take us in a totally different direction. Okay. Um, Marianne, I just, you've had such an impact on my life for the past six years. It's so, such an honor to speak with you. Um, Thank you. In this group of women. Uh, in my midlife, I found myself surprisingly going very deep into home and parenting after being very out in the community. And so my question is about raising children in this world. I've thought um, about how to bring so much of what you teach and the course teaches to my three and five-year-old and don't find a number of resources that would help. So I wonder what your perspective would be on raising them and starting them out with the foundation in your work um, and in your thoughts. God has an answer for that. And it's called the mother. <laughs> Every moment that you spend with your children before the age of five, you know, the Jesuits used to say, Give me a child before he's five and he's mine. We know things about early childhood that they didn't even know 10 years ago about the neuroplasticity in a child's brain, et cetera. A child's brain, the future is in the brain. That's where the, the, the frontier today is the, what we're learning about the human brain. Don't you worry about anything other than your wisdom, your reading to them, you're taking walks with them, showing them flowers and showing them trees, showing them rocks, showing them rivers, showing them the beauty of other people, pointing out how important other people are and how lovely things are and taking walks down the street with them and, and reading to them. Nothing, no, don't even worry about resources out there. You are the resource mm. and praying with them. And it, your five-year-old will get to the point of saying things, well, mommy, uh, I think Sally was mean at school. <gasps> maybe Sally, maybe something sad at her house. Let's say a prayer for Sally. Mm. It's not about another book. It's not about another video. It's about you. You're being fully present, listening to your children, talking to your children, not letting them get to the freaking tablet. Make it about you, your family. I don't know if you're married, whatever. Conversations, listening. That's 
That's your job. And God, you know, just like God places mother's milk in us, that is your mother's milk. You have it in you. Present with them. Be present with them. Listen to them. Play on the floor with them. Play games with them. Read to them and pray with them. Right before Mother's Day, what a beautiful message. Yeah. Marion, I want to thank you for um, bringing us back to our instincts today, reminding us that the external work is the internal work on some level, and the power of waking up in the morning and carving out silence as a way to really steady ourselves for what is to come in our day. So exactly what we've been talking about on this podcast, um, about really becoming conscious humans. So thank you for tying so many of these things together today. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to speak with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, Werner Earhart said you can live, live your life one of two ways. You can either live your life out of circumstances or live your life from a vision. And I think if we all join uh, in situations like this with the vision of a beautiful world, a repaired world, a regenerated world, we will have an era of repair and it will be be women who bring it forth. I know when uh, the Dalai Lama said, if the Western world, you know, he said, if the world gets saved, it will be because of the Western woman. And we just brought <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah, but with all due, yeah, but with all due respect to the Dalai Lama, we don't need any man's verification of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get it. We get it. So let's do it. Thank you. It's been an honor yeah. to be with Tell you. Tell us, please, before you, you yeah. sign off about what comes next for you. What's your next vision, your next project, your next book, and where people can find you, Marianne? <clears throat> well, I have a sub stack. You can, uh, you can subscribe for free, MarianneWilliamson.substack.com, and we send you meditations every morning and then articles that I write two or three, usually one or two, three times a week. Um, uh, that's that. That's also, I have uh, done videos of all the Course in Miracles uh, workbook lessons at Mornings with Marianne. If you're interested in, uh, interested in that, uh, go to marianne.com. Um, I'm finishing a book right now. I don't know if it will be called The Mystic Jesus or The Mystic Christ, mm -hmm. uh, talking about uh, the Jesus as is representing the Course in Miracles. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking about what I should do in 2024. Yeah. And um, with my ear to the ground and my eye to the sky, um, like everybody here else. Yeah. Pardon? We love you here in Iowa. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you may or may not see me there. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This thank you, Marianne, for thank your, you. your wisdom. Much love to you. God love bless you. Thank you. you. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris, with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Bye.